Hello and welcome back to another episode of After This. My name is Daniel. My name is Carla. My name is Shannon. And today I wanted to cover, given that it's the COVID-19 bonanza that we were talking about, we weren't sure <laughs> what happened, and apparently the answer is we're all in quarantine. Um, I wanted to talk about um, something that I saw recently. It's really interesting because, as everyone probably knows, the Murdoch Press is basically a very right-leaning newspaper group, uh, News Corp, Fox News, and uh, in Australia, we have a newspaper called The Australian, which is kind of meant to be their credible arm. <laughs> Even Do I it's... detect a hint of doubt in your voice there? <laughs> it's got Australian in it. It must be true, mate. <laughs> it's more than a hint, Carla. More than a hint. It's fair um, dinkum, I'd go to the they've, to they've, say. They've got Telegraph and the Daily Mail and the Herald Sun and all these this you know toilet paper that they've got going. And... Um, the Australian That's is kind of their okay. one where all their usually um, educated authors write for. Mm. Um, and so it's usually got the more slightly more academic stuff in it sometimes. Yeah. It's still right-wing, um, so, but it's at least Absolutely. Sensible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's educated right It's not a it, mm. it, it gets there, but it does it in a different tone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so the really interesting thing is from a newspaper like that, which usually just craps all over everything that's not hyper-free market, um, they wrote this piece that's basically called Conventional Capitalism is Dying, Macquarie Warns. Um, so the Macquarie Bank is uh, an Australian banking institution that's obviously very associated with you know wealth and everything else. It's a lot of wealth management, basically. Mm-hmm. But um, they have a lot of analysts there who write things and contribute to newspapers. But So this, this, this article is essentially about the way that the coronavirus has affected um, you know, international reaction to uh, uh, economics, I suppose, just just in general, like what the way it's changing the rules because all of a sudden everything we took for granted doesn't work anymore. Um, so I thought I'd read it um, and obviously we'll stop periodically throughout to sort of just chat about things or if no one has anything to say, I'll just keep rambling. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. So um, talk to me, Daniel. Uh, I plan to. <laughs> uh, so Macquarie analysts say the world could be tilting back towards an economic system that's more like communism. Uh, obviously, it's a bit of hyperbole. It's more like socialism, but, you know, they don't really know the difference. Uh, Mike, by Michael Rodden um, on March 19, 2020. So Macquarie Wealth Management, the stockbroking arm of the beating heart of Australian capitalism, Macquarie Group, has warned that conventional capitalism is dying. And the world is headed for something that will be closer to a version of communism. Me and all my commie uh, friends are so happy right now. Sorry. I love the word. Oh, sorry. You go. I said, uh, yeah, me and all my commie friends are really happy right now. We would be throwing (laughs) parties, but we can't at the moment. (laughs) Solo quarantinis. We should probably flag too, um, because of the social isolation, we're recording in different places. So there might be a bit of talking over each other and then saying, no, you go. No, you go. No, you go. Yeah, the the so funny thing is I can hear that. you perfectly, Carla, but I have mm. to hear Shannon through my earphones because I actually can't <laughs> hear him through the call. It's good. <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even hear myself properly through the headphones. I just hear like, <laughs> a higher pitch at the same time. I'm like, oh, don't get distracted by that sound. It's going to be a really fun and disjointed call for all three of us. This is going to be great. Yeah. Anyway, um, um, I wanted to flag, uh, I loved the use of the word 
warned in that sentence. They have warned that conventional capitalism is dying. <laughs> uh, yep, no, to them it's a horror story. Yeah, absolutely. And this is this is what I mean. Like this is where you can see the Australian shining through. Mm. Not that I'm really an advocate of communism. I like democratic socialism, but it's still like yeah, you can see the right wingness all over it in that anything that's not capitalism is communism. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not an absolute free market, we're living in a communist police state or something yeah. like that. Um, Anarchy or big brother, no in between. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Um, in a series of notes sent to investors, Macquarie analysts and researchers said a number of policies announced in recent days, including cash payments to US residents, credit guarantees of businesses in Germany, and a Swedish stimulus worth 6% of the Nordic country's economy to keep banks lending to companies, were a sign that governments were shifting toward neo-Keynesian and modern monetary theory policies, including a universal basic income guarantee. So it's it's interesting, like, yeah, neo-Keynesian. If neo-Keynesian, well, Keynesian economics was basically invented during the Great Depression by a British economist, mm-hmm. um, which is basically that the state does have a role to play, right. <laughs> which is which was like, oh, heavens, no, laissez-faire's working great. Look, it's a great mm-hmm. depression. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, basically the idea between Keynesian economics was that when business is booming and everything's going great and everyone's happy and everything's fine, um, you tax more and Mm. you pay less social programs to basically accrue, um, uh, to stop it from running away inflation basically. And then you don't spend so much into the economy, but as soon as it starts dipping, um, because of something, because he thought it was like just a net, because it sort of is, it's a boom and bust. Mm. Um, as it starts dipping, you immediately start injecting back in um, yeah. with lots of spending. Um, you lower taxes and then you put up social programs. And then when it goes good again, you lessen them off again. Mm. Um, it's basically creating an equilibrium so you don't mm. have these rampaging ups and downs yeah, um, where of- you either have inflation or depression. Mm. Um, so that was the idea behind it. Obviously, this was just during the Great Depression, obviously, when everything deregulation had shown that things are bad. Um, <laughs> so um, Neo-Keynesian was kind of like after World War II, a bunch of people came and made it into a more formal idea um, okay. with, with more add-ons sort of thing mm-hmm. um, and a more elaborate structure. It was more like what you'd probably call 50s socialism sort of thing. And it was very popular until Reagan and Margaret Thatcher came along and basically said, now's my spending. (laughs) That's my Reagan impression. I don't remember what he sounds like. (laughs) I thought that was your Margaret Thatcher impression. Isn't Reagan like the guy who kind of talks like this? Is that Reagan? Or at least the Simpsons takeoff of Reagan that I'm probably actually quoting? I don't even know if that's right. Come over here, Daniel. Like that just sounds like a hypnotist. Yeah, I know. I can't hear myself. <laughs> I can't hear myself probably through his headphones. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher also did all that stuff, as we're all aware. Um, but yeah, basically they're saying that all these companies, all these countries, sorry, are throwing tons and tons of money at their economies in a way that they never, never have before uh, to try and stabilize things for obvious reasons. Um, so. The European Central Bank also announced a $750 billion or 
sorry, billion euro or $1.44 trillion Australian asset purchase program. As President Christine Lagarde said, extraordinary times require extraordinary action and that there would be no limits on the central bank's commitment to protecting the single currency union. So again, it's basically they're committing a huge amount of money to buy things um, from people and from companies uh, to basically make sure they still have the funds to keep everything going. Um, because as, as we know from the, um, uh, the houses uh, after the GFC and like the factory towns dying and everything else, you got this house. It's like everyone's like, oh, leave and go somewhere else that has a better job. No one wants to buy a house because you live in a factory town with no work. Right. So uh, then um, you can't really buy a different yeah. house. Yes. Yeah. So you have the same problem here where basically it's a financial crisis and no one wants to buy your stuff. So they yeah. have an asset purchasing program. So then when they say asset purchase program, so is that like financial assets rather than tangible? It's going to be a mix of things. I actually okay. don't know exactly, but basically the idea behind it would be to buy stuff that yeah. people need to sell to make money for, and then the state will just do something with it. Um, yeah, like right. property or whatever it is. Um, so just to basically make sure you still have money for your things because yeah. otherwise no one's going to buy it and you'll run out of yeah, money. It, needs to, be, it needs to be flowing around. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. exactly. Um, so then across two notes titled a world of no historical parallels, making up rules and policies as we go. And another note called tear at the fabric glimpses of the future are here for all to see. Uh, Macquarie analysts said the shift toward a more fundamental change in the way the economy functioned was evidenced by the way the central banks and governments belatedly recognized that copying the public pulp Copying the policy responses of the global financial crises a decade ago were not going to be enough. Um, well, yeah, obviously, because <laughs> the thing is, the 2008 crisis was basically all of a sudden, you know, the credit markets were broken because they'd been speculating on CDOs. <clears throat> Whereas this time, it's basically, as you as you saw just recently, 6.6 6 million Americans filed for unemployment, Jeez, which is yeah. which is a amazingly fast unemployment rate mm. and i guess because this thing as well it's not like a purely intangible uh, yeah. effect like there is something physical going on that means yeah it's the economy is going to be at a standstill until you know the pandemic passes and we don't really know how long that's going to be and we can't no. just like fix it you know like yeah, you, can, yeah no, absolutely. you can you can do these things um moving the money around and doing asset purchases or whatever they're trying to do to like yeah. try to get through it but yeah. you can't just fix it that way there's it's there's actually something like, real I think, happening i think almost everything's designed to kind of keep us alive for like six months yeah yeah it's very so, much like, just... it's funny because like yeah the like 2008 financial Paramedics. crisis it yeah no exactly <laughs> the 2008 financial crisis is basically this problem with the economy, you know, the, this ephemeral thing mm. that sort of doesn't, like, it doesn't exist tangibly. It's just something that is going on. And it's um, something that we as humans make up. Too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is, like, you could get together with people and start a new business and do something. Yeah. Like, there's so much, like, there's all these ways to bounce back and get to yeah. work and do everything, but this is fundamentally stopping business models because yeah. a lot of business models rely on people being in the same place or whatever mm. it is and just suddenly they can't be 
so like hospitality and retail and things like that they're just all of a sudden just gutted because mm. you know and then and that has follow-on effects because then it's the people that buy from them it's the people that supply them it's everything else it's just whole sections of the economy have just had this big stamp that says no <laughs> and, and everything around it is getting injured so like there's no real way to just you know capitalize your way out of that one yeah it um it, it's you can't just invent a new or you can i mean you could swing between swing towards takeaway food and, and online retail and all these sorts of things but that's something that takes years yeah. um at best and takeaway food sucks it's not as good as eating it that <laughs> <laughs> uh, is sometimes the case i agree with you um soggy food it's um yeah so it's 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 an unprecedented problem um unless you're talking about like when the spanish flu was ravaging europe in which case it's probably the last time it was this crazy mm. um yeah and that was still dealing with the after effects of world war one and it was all a bit yeah. we went like international travel was not quite as easy as it is i guess that's the thing isn't it it's the shock because like people have built these entire ways of being and business models around certain capabilities and then all Mm. of a sudden just like gone it's like it'd be the same thing with the spanish flu era if suddenly like you couldn't you know put anything on the sea anymore you know they had global Mm. assembly lines but suddenly your boats couldn't sail anywhere or, or motor their way anywhere whatever you want to call it um, <laughs> what is it called when a boat has a motor? It's not a sail anymore, but I think they still say sail. That's yeah. a fair point. I think they do. Well, I mean, it still has, depending on the size of the boat. I'm sailing my aircraft carrier around the world. <laughs> I love sailing my motorboat. <laughs> motor, my sailboat. But um, no, so it's, yeah, it, it's funny because, like, it's just there are protections and systems coming in. Um, that have not been implemented ever before. So it's, I think that's what they're alluding to. Yeah. So um, the, US, the U.S. is expected to announce a stimulus plan worth close to U.S. $1 trillion, while Scott Morrison has been forced to return to the drawing board after realizing the initial $17.6 billion support, pro- $17.6 billion support program would do little to stave off destruction of the Australian economy. What's it become now? What, what what was the new plan worth? Like, because he came back with more stuff, didn't he? And it's like um, now it's higher. Not sure exactly, but I'm I can quickly try to look it up. Uh, let's just say it's bigger. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's great. But I, I, I think I they may have because basically he went away and yeah he came back with a bigger number, basically saying no. Now we have to do all this crazy stuff because this was. What date was this again? This is the 19th of March. So, yeah, it's definitely more intense now than it was on the yeah. 19th of March. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a big, crazy one. But, yeah, basically, okay, so I'll just keep going anyway. Um, yeah. On Thursday, Reserve Bank announced an unprecedented quantitative easing program after cutting interest rates by 25 basis points to a new record low. While the government is likely to provide further detail on a rescue package to workers whose jobs have been obliterated by the coronavirus par- par- coronavirus pandemic. That's the word. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, in which they kind of did, or they're kind of doing, but, like, obviously it's all scattershot. I mean, the amount that they're having to spend to kind of prop the economy up, I mean, that's what they're getting at here is basically, mm. like... Um, the this kind of government spending 
and it's almost ironically being forced out of a conservative government um, that they're having to spend so much money. I mean, in a way, I'm glad they at least decided quite quickly to spend the money because um, I was half expecting, you know, the Liberals and Scott Morrison to kind of put it off. I think um, it was just impossible to do that. Okay, so the where are we go? The, I found a figure. There's 130 billion dollars is the wage subsidy plan. Wow, um, that's so a lot that's, bigger. <laughs> it's bigger. Yep. <laughs> bigger. That's huge. Yeah, that's a big increase. Yeah, but, they're, um, and they're doubling. This this had happened, I think, when this article was written, but they're um, doubling the new start allowance. So yep. it's at a Point where people can actually live on it now, which is nice. <laughs> Thank uh, you. I saw those posts about it. People saying like, "Oh, you think this is like all these people complaining about the way it is now and how little money they get and stuff?" It's like it's been doubled. It was like yeah. how bad yeah. it was like just a few yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then suddenly you get on, and everyone's just like, "This is horrendous," and it's just this is the better version. Way, <laughs> way better than it was. <laughs> well, it was always half your rent money. Uh, like half your um, new start went on rent, and then you had to yeah, live on the uh, other start. I mean, at least. <laughs> uh, what are yeah. the bills? Oh, and then, yeah, else. not including bills and all that stuff. That yeah, I, I was on it for a while rinse. at the end of uni, but not long. I don't remember it that well. I just remember mm. them continuously making me like call about a 50 people to find a job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it, it was pretty uh, horrendous. Yeah, I just, I just signed back up to new start the other day. Yeah, yeah. Along all the, with uh, millions of other people. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I was in the construction sector, and um, yeah, they they don't want to pay people at the moment, so because they're not paying my boss and whatnot, yeah, he yeah. can't pay well, me. <laughs> I can tell you from my clients at work, like I have some construction companies and things, and yeah, they're saying that the people trying to pay them aren't paying them on time. Yeah, exactly. everyone. Yeah whole chain yeah, it's yeah. just people putting it off and like because they want to see what happens and then they probably can't get like take that money out get what is it the in the bank accounts when you can take your money out before oh, i forget what it's called i'm not a boss. I mean, you uh, about the, the superannuation no 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 um, are you talking deal? about like drafting like, like when you yes, dip into yes, drafting. oh right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so they'll set up trade finance and debtor finance and overdrafts and things like that but it's going to cost them a lot of money yeah. so i think they're i'm just saying they probably can't even get the overdraft at the no moment. quite possibly i know as working in a financial institution they are certainly crunching down on people's ability to borrow money yeah yeah uh, because i mean yeah at, at amex obviously the thing is it's all unsecured so the thing is they're deathly afraid of people defaulting on loans we give them so yeah. um the whole thing has definitely crunched in quite intensely there's, and there's no cashies going around anymore. This is this is the problem with Australia anymore. There's no cash in hand going. <laughs> <laughs> and much to the um, disgruntlement of all the mobsters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember yes. this. Actually, I remember when I used to work at um, our cafe, and um, uh, when I was visiting one of the cafes in Ligon Street. Apparently, there was a room at the back that no one was allowed to knock on, even. Like, if they were having a meeting, you're not even allowed to knock. Okay. <laughs> it's like, hmm, legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Well, they were friendly owners, but I was like, yeah, I feel like it's friendly to keep me away from asking questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, funny point. I don't remember the name of it, though. <laughs> uh, you probably wouldn't want to say it, even if you did. <laughs> I probably wouldn't. 
No, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> it's like by the end of this I podcast, what it looks there's, like, there's but a knock on the door. The <laughs> uh, anyway, so, okay, so in quotes here, we have been arguing that conventional capitalism is dying, or at least mutating to something that will be closer to a version of communism, Macquarie analysts wrote. This transition will be marked by cross currents and external shocks. Ultimately, a fusion of monetary and fiscal levers will lead to MMT style policies. So, um, modern monetary theory style policies, effective nationalization of capital, universal income guarantees, and deep changes in work practice. Um, so, basically, all they're saying is there's going to be a hell of a lot more state involvement um, in what's going on because the market itself. It's just huge gaps suddenly, mm. like huge parts of it. Like, it's not just that businesses can't function. It's, you know, it's all that stuff Bernie Sanders talks about quite a lot, which is basically that if you want stuff to get bought, the people need to be able to afford them. Yeah. Um, and so the people that used to be buying products are suddenly not able to buy anything except mm. essentials. Mm. Um, so then the businesses they were buying from go down and everything goes down and it's basically just a flow on effect. So, You've got a gigantic involvement of the government um, buying a lot of things. Um, yeah, like they said, effective nationalization of capital, which basically just means the country um, becoming the owner of all the assets and things in the country because no one else can afford to buy anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're the only ones that can print money. Um, This is exactly the situation where the gold standard would have imploded the entire planet. People who still think we should go back to that. (laughs) Can you explain that? The gold gold standard fixes value um, at a certain amount and doesn't give you any ability to combat inflation. Um, It doesn't give you the ability to like really change anything at all. Um, it kind of sets as what it is. It means that speculation is really hard. So it's good at stopping, um, uh, these sort of, uh, some things from starting some crises from starting, it'll stop some of them from starting. But the thing is in a situation like this, where you have unprecedented damage and things happening like this, uh, it would basically just be that money would run away. Um, and right. you kind of get what you had in the in the Great Depression because it's one of the mm-hmm. causes of it um, was the fact that governments basically just sat there watching all the prices go up with absolutely no control over anything. Right. Um, and it just runs away and no one can afford anything. And then you have like stagnant inflation. Oh, no, you have inflation, but then no one can afford anything. And it's, you know, that's when you have like 10,000 bucks for a loaf of bread or something. Right. Um, because people just keep asking more and more or whatever. And the thing yeah. is this, at least people have the ability to change interest rates, print more money, you know, do things like that, adjust the value of money mm, uh, mm-hmm. and then inject a whole ton more money when in this instance there's, um, you know, stuff you have to buy in an urgent situation. Mm-hmm. It just gives you a lot of flexibility and it's one of the big reasons why no one really, you know, they don't seriously ever talk about bringing it back. Because mm-hmm. it basically just takes levers away from the government to be able to um, adjust and manipulate things. Ooh, that the, sounds useful. Like, like I said, there are other downsides, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, mostly to do with speculation and the government's ability to kind of manipulate things to their benefit when it's not right. necessarily everyone else's. 
it's basically a tool, right? It's a tool, and if the government decides it wants to start pulling the thing and ruining things for everyone, but makes, you know, a few people have a better time, then that's Ooh. great. <laughs> um, God, the world would be so easy if politicians were, like, incorruptible angels. Because then yeah, we could just... Exactly. Because, like, we need, it should be good for the government emperor. to be able to change these things. But it's not because they're going to deliberately screw it up. It's... Oh. Yeah. Anyway. It's, basically, it's, it's the thing of, like, when everything's it's going like great, they can... Like, people can use any tool to basically make things better for themselves. But then, likewise, in situations like this, mm. the unemployment rate would be... I reckon it would be, like, ten times higher if mm. you didn't have the ability to manipulate monetary policy. Mm. Um, so I think it's better to have it than not, but I can definitely see why people don't like <laughs> the, the, oh, yeah. the, the manipulatable policy um, of uh, manipulatable monetary policy. Blah, <clears throat> uh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. So eventually we'll also leave behind a period of sub substandard productivity as soon as we stop warehousing labor and temporary jobs. However, in the meantime, conventional policy and investment prescriptions will be of little use. So basically, obviously, um, for a while, they've got all these people who are skilled at all these different things and they're having to put them in jobs that they're not actually qualified. Like, that's not the thing that they're specialised in. Okay. You know, you've got people that maybe used to work as laser technicians in a factory and know all this all this really advanced stuff about high-end, like, you know, high-end technology. Suddenly, they're working in a supermarket because that's what's yeah. hiring. Um, yeah. And they're, obviously, they're hiring a lot because they need to you know, keep up with all the people buying toilet paper. And, um, <laughs> well, they're not buying toilet paper anymore, and it's only like seven people buying toilet paper. <laughs> it's actually, I went to the supermarket the other night, there was like 40 packs of toilet paper Yeah, there. because yeah. everyone already has 3,000 rolls of toilet paper. Like, <laughs> oh, sales no. are just going like, oh, great, it's ended. <laughs> it's they, feel like no one actually needs more toilet paper than they normally do. So all of this, like, pre-buying is just going to be followed by this long period where nobody's buying I any. I don't know, Carla. Uh, what about the people who survive exclusively on McDonald's? They made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, actually, no, I suppose if you're at home, you're using your own toilet paper instead of the works toilet paper. Yeah, so Maybe. So what you saying, I was going to say, yeah, I've, I've just been going to the toilet at work and... Yeah, I've only gone through like three rolls, two rolls in the three-person house since this whole thing's done. And yeah, yeah, clearly you need to eat more KFC. <laughs> I don't eat KFC, Daniel. I only eat fish. No one's smart. Only KFC. fish. I'm a, I'm a, I'm basically a dolphin. <laughs> Wait. Oh yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. Except you can't breathe the water. Not that you've seen. Let's try and drown you. <laughs> I don't think it'll be trying. I think it'll be successful. <laughs> oh, not a dolphin. I, oh, he's dead. I need to go get. A, <laughs> I need to go get a dolphin plasty stat. <laughs> <laughs> dolphin plasty. <laughs> oh, Gerald. Um, uh, where was I? Uh, yeah. So. Convent, yeah, conventional policy and investment prescriptions will be a little use because they can't just invest money in the economy in the way they normally do. Mm. Because obviously you don't have people who can physically even go to these jobs. Um, today's economic and investment strategies are built around concepts of a monetary world, the ultimate prime... 
and the ultimate primacy of the public sector right. and of the private sector, sorry, and its ability to navigate well-defined business and capital market cycles. Alas, the world has already moved away from these principles. Actually, yeah, like referencing back to that point in the last, I just realized something in the last one, there's probably going to be a lot more automation suddenly because the mm. thing is, at the end of this, when things have recovered and then get people in to do this sort of stuff, um, why would people bring back their workforces? Like a lot of companies, I think, that maybe had people-intensive um, manufacturing or uh, you know, people in a warehouse, people in a dense office, anything like physical that they can replace with a robot. I think mm -hmm. there's probably going to be a lot of people who just won't even have work at the end of this because mm -hmm. this is the perfect this is the perfect excuse for a company to basically, you know, who doesn't want to be the bad guy, doesn't want to get noticed, says, "Oh, it was the coronavirus. You, you know, sorry, I had to let you all go." Um, it's not going to be in the news that they then didn't hire anyone back because suddenly they no. got a robot workforce. Yeah. Like you can just say no coronavirus, and then and then they can use that as a protection, right? So if another virus comes, I'll have robots, and it's not going to it's not going to bother me. Um, it's going to be it's going to be actually really interesting to see how much automation goes on at the end of this. Um, I think there's going to be tons. I don't know. I'd be I'd be a little bit skeptical only because the incentive to change to automation has always been there and i i don't mm. i don't know if i agree with you that the risk of like seeming like the bad guy would be enough to stop most people but you, you know a lot a lot are in that situation especially yeah. the largest corporations because every time a news article comes out about them firing workers and replacing yeah, them with true. machines it, it's big news and people yeah. shit all over them and the union shit all over them and everything else but this yeah. is like the ultimate way to get around the union this is a good power. excuse and I suppose, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. They might be able mm. to find ways to automate things that they didn't think were possible. Yeah, yeah. And but then, then they just need to start a scheme is. of um, robot maintenance and then <laughs> come back and just help the robots make the things they used to make. Yeah. I mean, we... anything anything entertainment-based will bounce back. Like, Hospo will bounce back. Yes. Yes. Cinemas will, like, anything that's just people can't do it because, they're, A, they're stuck in their homes and, B, they've been fired and don't have any money. Um, yeah. All that, yeah, yeah, and, like, sales work is one thing that I think it takes such a human flair to convince people to do stuff. Like, it, it's yeah. going to come back. But a lot of industries, I think, are going to see mark reductions. Sorry, what were you saying, Joe? Um, I was just going to say, do does Australia even have the infrastructure on the power grid to do, like, a mass... Um, Automate, automation rollover? I honestly don't know. Because I'm guessing it'll, there'll be a lot more like three-phase brought into a lot mm. of different areas to support all these different things. You know, we've already done a big overhaul on it with our um, charging stations and all that sort of stuff too. Yeah. So, Very I, interesting I, question. I, I, actually, I actually don't know how. I mean, I know the one in South Australia was famously overburdened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they but, just bought one in. And... But then they put that big Tesla battery in, and I don't know. I guess maybe it's better, but I yeah, guess that's... I think yeah, I I read it's been really, really good. But Yeah, no, that's what I thought. Yeah, I mean, obviously, because it's a gigantic, super-efficient battery. Like, mm. it's exactly what you want <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um uh where was i so today's so i'm going to reread that last section because I, I we were talking more about the bit before it um today's economic and investment strategies are built around concepts of a monetary world and the ultimate primacy of the private sector and its ability to navigate well-defined businesses and capital market cycles 
alas, the world has already moved too far away from these principles. So yeah, basically, it's just talking about that normally we try and make everything private that we can. Um, mm. That also actually, well, if you're at the Australian, literally everything should be private. If you're slightly more <laughs> rational, then, you know, the things should be as private as much as possible until you are noticeably affecting anything like like a public yeah. service or something. And then you should be nationalizing those things because private is going to look out for itself. Yeah. <laughs> and self-interest and sometimes gives you a good, but sometimes self-interest just gives you self-interest. Yeah. <clears throat> and again, it's one of those things that if the government was perfect, you'd just want anything that's kind of essential to be publicly owned. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's. Uh, so I was talking to. I was talking to my. I think I was my dad about this the other day. But basically, about um, the too big to fail companies. It's basically any company that you cannot cannot you know lose should mm. either be nationalized or should be broken up to be smaller. Because yeah. the thing is, having a private entity that's too big to lose is just a massive, like black hole of yeah. problems mm. yeah. no that's that's a good point <laughs> yeah like mm. i think the thing is if at least if you want it to stay the same size like it's a mega company and you just can't break it up because it does something really important nationalize it then like yeah. It, yeah. if you can't break it up nationalize it yeah. because you can't have private individuals thinking you know it's okay we're enormous we'll get bailed out of any problems that we end up in as long as we get eight years of success if the ninth year we default on a bunch of stuff and the government pays out, then it's fine. Like, <laughs> and it's kind of the mentality after the GFC that a bit of the financial sector was getting into again. Yeah, um, I agree with you. I just don't like the idea of like something growing, 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 and then it's taking from us, and then to like to obviously grow, and then hmm. it needs more from us to sustain itself. Yeah, it's sort of like taking, taking. It's just a constant take system, and it's just yeah. like. Well, it's, gonna be... it's, it's like I said that they're using they're using investment funds and you know money deposits that people put in to leverage themselves to nine times their value because the profit was amazing. But then it's like they're playing this risky game now. Apparently, with the knowledge that they'll just get bought out, like they'll get mm. bought out by the government if they push it too far, and everyone will be okay. But I think with like, the banks in particular, they, they can be safe in knowing that because it'd be so much worse for everyone if they yeah. did fail. Yeah, so it's no, not, exactly. it's, it's like, um, uh, I can't think of a decent analogy. It's like, yeah, no, I can't think of a decent analogy, but it would be better at this point to bail them out than to not, but it would have been better yes. for them not to put themselves in a position where yes. they have to be bailed out. I, yeah. I, I disagree. I reckon they shouldn't be bailed out because it's not like we've never been able to bounce back from this stuff before. I just reckon it's like mm. psychological fear tactics that they've installed into our minds. That the, the, the thing is, if a bank defaults, the problem is that all the loans, all the deposits, all the superannuation, all the everything inside that bank is just gone yeah. because so it, gets, you've got, it gets wiped, basically. If you've got $5,000 in a Commonwealth bank account and ComBank fails, you have $0 now. Um, and there's bank, there's all businesses, there's so, people, there's all this stuff where there's it's not just an entity that goes and then you can go to a different bank. It's 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 everything that's associated with that bank. And because it's so enormous and has its fingers in so many things, the economy it'd be worse than like worse than this well, effect on Australia probably. Well, um just 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 go with me on this one for a second. Like I just think something needs to be installed as far as like wealth goes. Like for 
Myself, for example, like I'd constantly needed to get, like growing up, I needed to get bailed out from my parents whenever buddy, I lost a job or something like that mm. or had a financial crisis. So now I've, last year I saved up as much money as I possibly could. So this year, even though all this stuff's happening, I have like a bit of cash a and buffer. safety net support. Yeah. yeah. If you're earning certain amounts, you should automatically have to like put these things amount like into certain things. So then... And it becomes like a separate mm. section. So, like, you that money becomes responsible for like keeping you going. Because that's how I mm. have to do it. Why do Why do they get a special set of rules for being more like powerful yeah. than me? That it's the, the abstraction of business. They really. don't care about me. And the banks do have like a limit to how much in debt they're allowed to be, but it's just negotiating that limit. Yeah, the thing is they continuously deregulate themselves to the point mm. where they don't have really hard limits anymore. They have, like, suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> and then they have liquidity ratios where they have to have a certain amount. But then the thing is those liquidity ratios are more towards, like, um, they have to have a certain amount of cash on hand for the total deposits. But if they're earning their income from, you know, investment streams or something like that, then they can kind of negate around some of those rules because they're not deposits from, from people putting their money in. It's mm. basically stuff they've bought with their money to get something else, like that gold stuff you were talking about the other week. Um, it's yeah, it, it it runs away very quickly. Um, where where was I in this thing? You're still you're still at the table, Daniel. <laughs> um, so all right, so yeah, where was it? So Macquarie said the bedrock features of economic and financial analysis, such as leading indicators, the Federal Reserve model, the Phillips curve of labor and inflation analysis. Risk premiums were no longer useful as the world now flooded with three to five times more money and debt than gross domestic product. So, wait, I need to read that again. Uh, features of economic and financial arts, such as leading indicators. Final amount of debt and then great. Yeah, okay. So, basically, like the amount that companies, countries are actually producing is a fifth of the amount of, like, you know, debt and speculation that's going on sort of thing. So it's like the whole world is leveraged up to its eyeballs um, mm. in trying to make things happen. Um, yeah. And that's the thing. That's what, that's what they do. They, they, they find the stuff that's pretty safe and the stuff that's kind of safe and they figure out these ideal things. And then, you know, again, suddenly there's an unexpected shock of some kind and all their risk equations don't, you know, aren't valid anymore because they thought they'd figured it out, but systemic shocks... <laughs> You know, it seems to happen every 10 years, but we seem to not really learn much. Um, so, yeah, that's that's really the main thing that's referring to. Uh, we're drowning in capital and the objective is no longer efficient utilization, but rather ensuring it does not freeze and remains liquid. So basically, there is tons of money everywhere and tons of assets. It's just that none of it's interacting with anything else. Mm-hmm. So basically, an economy is when money constantly changes hands, and everyone, you know, spends something, gets something, grows, spends something, gets something. You know, they get some for their work, they spend a bit more. Like it, it constantly moves and moves and moves and grows. When everything stops moving suddenly, you go into more of a zero sum economy, which is what they thought things were in the medieval era, which is where there's only a set pie and it never gets any bigger or smaller. It mm. basically, I if you have something, I don't. Basically, becomes right. the mentality. Um, and that's sort of what the freeze of capital would be. Um, also, the role of labor and convention 
conventional versus digital capital is being dramatically altered while a generation generational change drives far greater preference for fairness and support rather than freedom and choice even if theoretical policy answers are right they will be rejected so wait is that crapping on left-wing young people i think so yeah i think <laughs> I that's think so. crapping on left i'm interested that they seem to think that's an actual generational change because that's what kind of thing that happens every single generation is like the new young people are always more left-wing and then they grow up and turn more (laughs) right-wing i think it's lasted i think there's a more intense thing out of a product of the um uh mainly the george bush jr yeah george bush jr years Mm. i think there's a generation now that's sort of like watched global warming and the George Bush Jr. stuff and the invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan, and it's it's a bit more intense than it's been in quite a long time. Yeah. Um, and so you've got this like young, so like this this young wave of support for people like um, Bernie Sanders again. It's probably a good example. Yeah. Um, and the EU and all these things, and and people who are kind of growing up on a diet of you know the conservatives being morons. And I think global I warming is the... one of the biggest factors in that. Is that basically yeah. The planet's dying it's not just about lifestyle it's about planet dying and mm. i think that's making it more intense than it's been in a very very long time since maybe the worries about nuclear weapons during the cold war mm. um when they're like no no more war and all that stuff because you're going to get us killed by nuclear weapons i think that's sort of come around again but it's the global warming version mm. um yeah interesting. Uh, and i guess seeing the the downfalls of late stage capitalism too because yeah the downsides are definitely coming out more and more in the last couple of decades. Yeah, I, I like that they identify it as a preference for fairness and support rather than freedom and choice. It's like <laughs> free, if, 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 if you've marked those things as opposites, <laughs> it's like you're implying that you don't get support and you're not and nothing's fair. Yeah. <laughs> it's like fairness and support or freedom and choice. It's like if you're saying or, <laughs> what does that say about the freedom you're offering or the choices? <laughs> that I, it just yeah, it's kind of it's funny that they put it that way because obviously they 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 see it the way that they see it. Um, but it's funny when you mark it like that, it almost like perfectly illustrates the problem. Yeah. Um, uh, so then, even if theoretical policy answers are right, they'll be rejected. Um, so basically, yeah, I think they're saying that even if a policy says pro freedom and choice, it's going to be shut down. I think, yeah, that seems to be what he's saying. Anyway, modern monetary theory, which has gained prominence in the U.S., led by advocates such as Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, argues that unemployment is the result of government spending too little while at the same time collecting taxes. Uh, instead, government should spend to subsidize wages and embark on national programs while raising taxes on incomes to keep inflation lower if needed. So, I mean, this is kind of just Keynesian economics that we were talking about at the beginning. Basically, as we've seen a downturn, um, there should be basically less taxation if you're going to, I mean, you, you're going to tax people, but tax people less and spend more on programs, basically. To basically yeah. allow businesses to work, but also allow individuals to get the money that they need. Um, but really, the thing is, they're collecting taxes in general. But it's just like, where is it going? What is it being spent on? Um, 
and obviously there's a big argument for spending a lot more on programs that allow people to function. I think one of the biggest things that I'm a support of is um, retraining programs. Because, mm. like, I think there's nowhere near enough support for people who basically are in a career that is not paying well and doesn't really have great options to be able to just say, okay, I want to go and do this job instead or into this line of work or, you know, even identify lines of work that are in demand and then be trained into them like mm. it's it's exactly what the scandinavian system was i talked about the ghent system i think i talked about it before which is basically where the unions and the businesses are all set up in sort of tandem where you can be fired at any time by a company without punitive without any punitive measures but you get put into a system paid for by the businesses that retrains you into other ones that need you mm. yeah and that's, so that's how you stop um you know people if you've got a town full of mining um, yeah. and then they, they don't want to stop, they don't, they don't want to um, vote against climate change policies because they don't want to lose their mining job because they've got nothing to do. And if you just like say, mm-hmm. fuck it, uh, that's your yeah. problem. Of course, yeah. that's going to be a hard sell. You need to be able to, yeah, as you said, and uh, uh, Carla, Carla, be Carla, it's called freedom and choice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Shay. <laughs> I, I just, I just really like it, Daniel. That um, I'm a pretty good example of what you were just saying. Because now I'm just using this time to actually go back to university and sort of study. Yeah. Again. And going in, and going into an industry of demand. Cause, yeah. Uh, going into nursing. Yeah. Yeah. So, no. Exactly. Right. And 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 support for stuff like that. I think is almost one of the most important things. Cause the thing is like, rather than just pure unemployment support and things like that, the thing is we have industries that are constantly in demand for employees. Like almost there, there is always at any time an industry that needs people. But the problem is you need to learn something. You need to get a course done. You need to do a whole bunch of things and learn some things to do it properly. Um, but you know, you don't want to stop working and go do that thing or something like this. There should be a robust system in almost every capital driven country where you can be retrained and put into the right field. Because I think that is a big problem where you've got a big growing industry that needs people and everyone's trying to do something else that's dying and yeah. no one can get retrained to do the thing that's in demand. So everyone's fucked. Like Maybe they should just... tax the companies that need people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and use that, that money to train people. Yeah, yeah put it yeah. into scholarships or something like that, and then yeah. I just have like adult and less fortunate scholarships that people would from disadvantaged like situations that can. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just yeah, any. It's just like, it's, yeah, like, the thing is that they need more. Like basically, it's just undercooked. They just don't do anywhere near enough compared to what they should be doing for not, that and not, the, and not the gnarly sort of raw. <laughs> 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 um, Alright, so part of the theory could include a universal basic income. Wait, hold on, did I skip something? No, I didn't. Um, part of the theory could include a universal basic income in which every citizen, regardless of work or wealth, would receive a set stipend from the government. Uh, in quotes, one of the more frequent questions that clients ask, what other historical periods can we look to to better understand our past? So hold on, I'll talk about the first part. I thought they were associated. Um, so yeah, obviously this is the UBI that, you two, that we've been talking about quite a lot. Um, <laughs> but obviously I think their idea of it is put it in temporarily mm. uh, rather than permanently. But that would still be a fantastic test because they'd mm. see 
would happen if everyone suddenly had a UBI. I mean, it's kind of what they're talking about anyway. Um, and it would be a finally a UBI test that actually tests the effect of it on like greater society. Because as we mentioned in that first episode we did about the UBI, it's really hard to say conclusively what broader effects it'll have on the economy because you can't yeah. test it. You The tests are all on small groups of people. Um, but, yeah, doing this during a crisis would definitely I think, give you some I think data. the funny thing is the only, the only thing I'd be concerned about right now is that everyone's being told to quarantine themselves. So it'd be really, really tempting to just do nothing with the money for a while until, like, I, mm, I think... Yeah, fair point, help, actually. They need to put it in to help people, but really the test isn't really legitimate until everyone's allowed outside again. That's a very, um, very good point. So it's like, put it in to help people, but don't really use this data until everyone's allowed outside again. <laughs> <laughs> like, it'll help people, but start measuring from when we're allowed to go to work again and be in public yeah. places, because that's when it'll be valid. Yeah, um, although it'd be interesting. Actually, I even think recovering economy, you'd probably see a lot of people retraining themselves doing that. So anyway, yeah, no, very cool. Um, so one of the more frequent questions that clients ask what are historical periods can we look at to better understand our path? Obviously, the thing is, there's probably not many, but I'll see what they say. Unlike natural sciences, economic rules are not immutable, but rather bend under the pressures that societies face. What is regarded as acceptable in one era is disregarded in another, and therefore prescriptions from one period will be unacceptable in another, even though some might actually yield more efficient outcomes. Unlike physics, economics does not progress according to well-known rules but rather attempts to satisfy prevailing a societal mood homo economicus is not a rational agent but a confused beast and economics is an outgrowth of society rather than a conventional science searching for truth yeah. so i've heard that homo economicus is yeah the way is the name that they give in economics to um uh human beings that are supposedly rational actors um, but they're usually not. <laughs> basically, it's it's basically saying that like we we've got these systems and all these things in place and it's so measurable and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, as as he's said himself, that basically um, with all these measurements, the core actor in this entire thing is an emotional being that is mm -hmm. doing things that feel good and likes mm -hmm. stuff and has preferences. And even if, and like you said, um, or is it uh, the thing about, even though they might yield more efficient outcomes, you know, it's, it's basically like America with the healthcare debate is a perfect mm -hmm. example. There's a perfectly good option because everyone else, every other country in the world almost does a better option than America does. But yep. America is emotionally committed to not having state intervention in healthcare. Um, yeah. So it's irrationally acting on those choices. So that's basically what the whole thing is. It's basically saying economics is a lot of educated guesswork, but really it's almost impossible without some kind of super AI to like take into account mm. all the variables and actually and come out as an answer. And it's also created though. It's not, it's not just that you have, it's impossible to measure precisely. It's also something you can just change. Yes. To a certain yeah, no, extent. Exactly. Like everything's going to have un, uh, unexpected um, consequences. But yeah, 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 it's not. You can, you can fit yeah. with it. The whole, the whole thing from inventing money to inventing interest and everything else, it's all mm. just stuff we've made up. Mm. So the whole thing is basically not resting on any natural laws at all. It's just that how does our system we've made up interact with itself? Yeah. Um, 
which is yeah. sometimes very difficult to predict. Yes, because people are people. Um, then uh, Macquarie said the amount of government assistance was growing at an exceptionally rapid pace as credit markets froze, companies stared into oblivion, and as workers were laid off and would likely exceed the US $1.7 trillion spent in the first round of the GFC. Um, so the first round of the GFC in, I'm assuming they're talking about the US, um, is basically when they bought out the first bank, which was Bear Stearns, I think. Mm-hmm. Freddie Mac. No, Bear Stearns was allowed to collapse, and that was um, a big deal. And then Freddie Mac, which was much bigger, got bought out. So that was part of that original round of GFC payments. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, when they started buying up companies, and they're still not sure what to do with this investment bank that they own. It's kind of funny when you read about it. It's like yeah. they bought it to kind of be like, no, we're bailing you out, but we're taking control. And then it's just like, okay, now what do we do with it? <laughs> and like, years later, they're just kind of running it like a bank and they're not really sure. They haven't really got an idea of what they'd like to do with the play- with the thing, <laughs> even though they own a bank now. <laughs> um, uh, while proposed bailout of vulnerable industries is in line with strategies in 09, today there is a far greater emphasis on income, including direct disbursement to citizens, the analyst said. The key is that COVID-19 seems to be successfully breaking the irrational taboo against borrowing and preoccupation with debt sustainability. It is for, is also forcing closer cooperation between fiscal and monetary arms that over time will fuse into one, a la China, New world of nationalized capital and MMT is beckoning. It will bring different investment styles, although the twilight between the two systems will still persist for years. So it seems to basically be that they're talking about just an increasing combination of um, government and economics, Mm. um, which I guess is why they keep talking about communism. But really, they're talking about socialism, which is basically where um, the state nationalizes industry and gets super involved with everything. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I agree. Basically where, where there's so much stuff that they're doing today that they would have called, uh, socialist heresy, like <laughs> six months ago or a, uh, 10 years ago, whatever. Like it's just, they're faced with this, unpre- this, this unprecedented crisis. And then they realize they can't pretend the free market's infallible anymore. Um, mm. Because, again, if it was self-correcting, like they say, they'd just be businesses popping up immediately to replace the ones that are getting lost. But it doesn't effectively do that in the way that they like to imagine that it does. It maybe mm. does it over very long periods, but you end up with like 10 years of people with no work or something between the periods that you want. Um, like it does do it to an extent, but this idea that you can't have the state intervening at all or you shouldn't mm. is is nuts like it's absolutely batshit crazy because <laughs> we can see every 10 years roughly something big and horrible happens almost and then we have to do all this crazy shit to get us out of it again uh actually no i think the last one before 2008 was like the late 80s or something there was a recession and then there was another one, the early 70s or something. It's like, it's basically every decade. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But for some reason, we think this time will be different. <laughs> <laughs> Deregulation will work this time, guys. <laughs> In fact, I don't even think they believe it. I think it's just that they'll get nine years of amazing profits and that will completely outweigh that one year of shit. Like, you can have one year of shit with a whole bunch of, like, fines and penalties but you'll still made so much money in the 10 years previous. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, 
And every CEO is just trying to come in and add an extra year to that tally to basically further offset their losses. Yeah. Um, that's what you hear about a lot is companies making tons and tons of money off things and then getting fined for them, but they get fined like a tenth of what they made. Yeah. Yeah. And then they and just the like fuck the business. And the business as a whole gets fined, not necessarily the person who actually took home all that money. So And the business is a separate entity to the people making the decisions. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a doozy, that one. Oh yeah. I mean that, yeah. I, I, I understand it's, the invention. Yeah, it's needed the for certain I, reasons. I invent I understand the invention of PTYLTDs, um, because like it's about limited liability because for a long, long time you had like journeymen and guildsmen and things in the middle like you know, 1600s or something. And what they'd do is they'd go out and make a business, but they'd be risking, you know, their own incomes and everything else. And the thing is, obviously, that's how you think it should work. But basically, if they defaulted suddenly, they lose their house, they lose their livelihood, their family, everything's gone. The idea of the, P- the Proprietary Limited is that basically debts are limited to the company itself and the directors aren't personally liable. So that basically you encourage people to try and make businesses and any yeah. money that's owed is reaped then back to the business. So then they're safe. So they will feel like, you know, they're, they're encouraged to start them in the first place, um, which is different to obviously how sole traders work if you're just trading under you, yourself and you're not a PT or LTD because then you are liable. I'm a sole trader. Ah, I also trade in souls. Mm. <laughs> 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 oh, <God. laughs> this is staying on topic um so um, uh yeah so i just wanted to i just wanted to bring up this article um yeah the world is changing dramatically because suddenly stuff that we didn't think was okay might suddenly be okay we might have to do a whole ton of experiments and the thing is for decades they're going to be writing papers and studying the effects of like the governmental support and everything that came in and creating new models of it and analyzing why the market didn't work out the way it was meant to. But we're going to have a lot of right-wing politicians saying, it's all right, no, no, it was because of this, no, it's fine, the market's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Slowly it will be forgotten again, and then um, we'll all end up with, uh, you know, another eight years of conservative government and about another 30 years. Um, That'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. I don't want that to happen, but, yeah, it's going to happen. Um, Anyway, I think, how long have we been going for? A couple of days. <laughs> we are right on an hour now. Ah, in 40, no, in 35 seconds. In 35 seconds. It's going to be a good 35 well, seconds. I reckon it's going to be. We've got off to a really good seconds. start so far. We've, I've, actually, I've actually timed this incredibly well. This has been really good. <laughs> we, we aim for an hour and my incoherent ramblings have come in at about an hour hey and i'm gonna guess that about if i say my name is daniel and you guys say your names we can end at about do, an let's hour do exactly. it say you shannon no i'd say i'd say it last uh, oh, okay, i say my name my name my name is carla <laughs> and i'm still shannon okay we're letting it time ah! Ah!